Well, last week <clears throat> we started into, we finished the introduction and started into the the book of Colossians. And, you know, there's a few things here that just as a recap of, uh, you know, this is a response from Paul to Epaphras as he went to Paul in prison and told him what was going on with the church. Uh, he was he was wanting help. You know, all these problems had arisen, and and uh, as a, any young pastor would do, he he goes to a a mentor and and seeks advice. And very wise thing to do, right? Um, of course, we all are guided and driven by the Holy Spirit of God, through the Word of God. And we should all go there first, but, you know, Epaphras didn't have the New Testament for that at the time, right? But uh, but we should also seek godly advice and wisdom from other people. Why, and I think we talked about this some last week, but why is that so important for you and I to do today? We've got the Holy Spirit of God as our ultimate teacher and guide. We've got the Word of God as the 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 lamp unto our feet, right, and the 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 light for our path. But so why consult with others? We talked about that some. So how? What do you think? Why would we do that? Yes, sir. The scriptures tell us that in a multitude of counsels there's safety. Right. Right. Many times the opinion that I have is not from God. It's from a slanted source or from just prejudice or whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just make up my mind and I'm looking for endorsements. There you go. Really good, good. You wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> you know, so that is so true, right? And so um, using, then taking that advice from others and filtering it back through the scriptures, we come with, like it or not, every one of us here comes with some preconceived uh, ideas, right? So it's always um, good to go to others. Now, do you, I do, do you struggle sometimes if what that person is telling you doesn't line up with what um, what you were thinking? What do you think? You ever have that problem? I do. I'll be the first to admit it. Anybody else want to admit it? You know, John Michael's going like that. We all do, right? So at that point, then what do we do? I don't like the counsel you just gave me. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that's where the Holy Spirit is ringing, right? And we have to submit to the truth of God's word at that point. So Epaphras didn't just take this on himself when he started, you know, noticing what was going on in, in the young church there. He he went and sought counsel from Paul, and and, and the problem is we looked at last week was that these uh, the the false teachers were prop propagating Gnosticism, and this was people that had a, um, superior knowledge, as they thought, um, to, that could help lesser Christians to obtain some deeper form of spirituality. And their, their basic doctrine was that anything that is physical or created was evil, right? And then only the spiritual was good. Well, that's a real problem, isn't it? Um, I mean, if only the spiritual is good, because then as they taught and they were propagating in the church that then Jesus Christ, since he was physical, that he couldn't be involved in creation and uh, because he was made of matter, flesh and bones. 
And that led to the belief that, um, that he really couldn't be God then. And therein lies the problem, of course, right? Because if he wasn't God, then he wasn't creator. The incarnation wasn't real. And that then leads down the, that path of now all of the sudden God is not enough. And the point to remember is that, that false teachers, uh, they always go to man-made remedies for things. And they're, they're never going to be, um, well, I, I mean, you've got false, you know, doctrines of Christianity, I guess, that, that are being taught. But what was going on here with the Gnostics, and I think the biggie in the church today as well, is these man-made remedies to keep us from going back into a sinful a life dominated by sin, and and we talked last week that that can manifest itself in the church today in legalism, uh, you know, list of do's and don'ts, or one term that I use, it can it can manifest itself into hoop jumping. You know, we set up a series of hoops for our kids to jump through, and when they do, and they come out on the other side, they're going to be okay. But that's simply not what the scriptures teach, right? And then the other one we talked about last week uh, that has infiltrated the church in this manner is is psychology. And uh, you remember the quote I had from C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters last week when when one of uh, Wormwood's uh, uh, clients, I think he called no, call him a patient, got became a Christian when he got saved. Then uh, he writes to uh, Uncle Screwtape, who's, you know, Satan, and uh, Wormwood's a demon, and, you know, what do I do? My patient has gotten saved, and, and Screwtape's response is, well, you've got to make him a Christian and, and you just fill in that blank, right? You've got to add something to it, because just the Word of God and the Spirit of God in a believer is not enough. You've got to add to it. That's what, what what he was getting at with that. And that's what's happened today. I heard a radio program yesterday. I had to turn it off. Can you believe that? I couldn't take it. Um, and I just wasn't, I wanted to, I wanted to call, but I knew that would never get to me. But it was, um, it was a psychology radio program on a local Atlanta station. Just happened to be in, on when I was moving my car in my driveway. And a lady was calling in, had a 10-year-old son, and um, he, she'd caught him telling two lies and being more angry than normal. And she took him to a psychiatrist. And I'm thinking, what in the world? You know, is, is there anybody here that has a 10-year-old child or any child that hasn't told a lie. I mean, Psalm 58.3 says they go estranged from the womb, speaking lies from birth. You know, and, and so the, the kid tells a lie, and they, I thought, you've got to be kidding me, you know. So the lady that uh, was the psychiatrist or psychologist that was giving the answers just started down this path of diagnosis, you know, and, and and giving a label. So at that point, I had to shut it down. But um, Paul didn't do that. Uh, in his brilliance, he um, writes this letter. That was his response. He, through guided by the Spirit of God, proceeds to write this letter. And um, 
he character, characteristically, as we said last week, praised the church before dealing with them pastorally. And, and we talked quite a bit about that last week and the, the great importance of that because you can't just come out of the chute bashing. You know, you've got to build a rapport with somebody. You've got to, got to um, you know, not build them up so you can throw them down. But you know what I mean? That You're going to lose your audience, maybe is a way to say that, if you just come right at them. So Paul praises them, and that's what we looked at in verses 1 and 2 last week. It, it, if you want to read that with me, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So we got through most of that part last week, but as we, where we ended was talking about, though Paul had never met the Colossians, he, he called them saints and faithful brothers in Christ. And so that brings the question of what is a saint? Um, what do y'all think? I mean, I, I, I've got the Catholic background, so I can tell you what I think, right? You know, that is a somebody that, you know, you had to have been highly religious. Um, the word itself, the Greek word itself, refers to separation from sin and set apart to God. Separated from sin and apart to God. So it's kind of the same thing as holiness, Right. That's what that is, sanctification. That's what that is. But in the minds of um, so many people today, a saint is some, some religious icon. You know, and certainly in the Protestant church, nobody would attain to that because there just aren't any holy enough Protestants to be a saint, right? I mean, so what are some famous saints there what's the most famous one certainly y'all get that everybody's got them on a little not everybody but you know a little pendant saint michael that's not the one i was thinking of but he's a famous fam- christopher yeah and, and what do you do to him if you've lost something or you know they've got little titles that you know this one if you've lost something you pray to him if you need a blessing you pray to this one if you this that or the other um, you pray to them for those things. And, you know, believe it or not, in America, well, well, first of all, who's the biggie on the saints? The Catholics, right? And the Orthodox, those two. And, and believe it or not, in our country, the Catholicism is what I would call Catholicism light, L-I-T-E you know, lightweight Catholicism. When you travel to other parts of the world, it's like it's on steroids or something compared to what we're used to. And I wish Daniel was here right now, but he's in Honduras. But he has seen what I've seen in this church in Peru. You walk in the door and down by the altar, I promise you, down by the altar from floor to ceiling are life-size idols of saints. I mean, it's like, what in the world is that? I ran back to the house and went in there and got my camera and kind of nonchalantly took a picture of it, you know. And, I mean, it's just bizarre, just bizarre. And they worship those. And and um, if, I think I had to say this, um, the people that are doing that aren't stupid. Okay, they're educated people just like you and I, some probably more educated than you and I. 
And many times they get what they would testify to an answer from their prayer to that saint. All right, you okay with that? I mean, I've lost my keys. I'm going to pray to, I can't remember which one it was, you know, but there's one when you lose things, that's who you go to. And, and all of a sudden, you know, after that prayer, I get up and boom, there's my keys. You know, so is that real? What do you think? Where does it come from? You know? Um, my mother lives with us. I hope she doesn't <coughs> listen to this recording. And she's, she's Roman Catholic, and um, she does this, you know? And... and um, I, so it bothered me tremendously, to be honest with you, you know, because I I love my mom and 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 I want to see her through all of eternity as well. And she gives testimony of of saving faith in Christ, but she also has these idols. And um, um, she used to be highly involved in this um, um, appearance of Mary. Have y'all are is is this really foreign to you guys or are you up on it at all? Mary, not so much now, but in I don't know what well, Greg knows because he used to live in Conyers. Was it fifteen, twenty years ago? Mary on a regular basis appeared at this lady in Conyers' house. What's her name? Nancy Connor. I mean, this is national news. She appears in the sky when she comes the first thing you do is you smell roses. She, she always, if you smell roses, Mary's close. And then she appears. The sun spins around in the sky and they commune with her. I mean, this is, you know, ni- late 90s. This isn't, you know, some, we're not talking about the 200s. We're talking Conyers, Georgia, <laughs> right? And this stuff's going on. And one of the churches in Peru that I was in, the, in the Catholic Church, they have all these stations of these rooms about half the size of this room that are the most ornate, gold-plated, full-body-sized mannequins of Mary. Rose petals on the floor. I mean, and, these, and the people, one right after the next, there's like 14 of them in this one church, and the people come in and they bow down and they worship that. Are those the kind of saints we're talking about here? Is that what Paul is calling the people at Colossae? Certainly not, right? So, just to close the thing on Mary, um, I, that really bothered me. My mom's an intelligent lady. What in the world is going on? And I can't tell you how I found this book. I found it on my shelf, which is even weirder. Maybe a saint placed it there. But <laughs> somebody had to have given it to me at some point, you know. But it was, I think it was called Graven Image. And I read it a few years ago. And this is written by an ex-Catholic guy who is a Protestant, you know, um, is born again. And, and he, he kind of came to that conclusion, you know, these are smart people. They're not going out there, what's going on? And his conclusion was that it's real, but it's not Mary. It's spiritual, demonic, demonic spirits. You know, that there's going on, there's tricking these people. That's, that's today's stuff that's happening, right? So there again, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, what are we going to write then? What would Paul write? That's how he's, a, he's approaching these brothers and sisters in the church at Colossae. So 
saints, what are we? What does the New Testament say saints are? Believers, right, all believers. You and I, as well as the people here, are saints. So if somebody comes up and, you know, and says uh, St. Greg or whatever, you know, that's, that's okay, right? Uh, it, it means that we're holy ones. And why are we holy? What makes us holy? What do you think? Because he gets into that in a minute. We'll get into that. It's because we're in Christ, right? Our holiness comes from Christ. We're set apart for him. And if we're set apart for him, unto him, then there's something that we're being taken out of, which, of course, is the world, right? And he says the phrase to the saints and faithful brothers. He's not talking about two groups of people here uh, because you have the definite article two. It's not repeated before faithful brothers. So he's lumping that all together. One thought, the saints who are true to their calling, of course, any Christian that is really a born-again Christian is going to be a faithful brother or sister in Christ, right? And that is, is the, really the PowerPoint to me of this whole thing here is the best news of all is the fact that he says they, that you're in Christ. Have you ever thought about what does that even mean, to be in Christ, um, it, it really it means that, that we partake of all that Christ has done, all that he was, and all that he is even today, and all that he would ever, ever be, we partake in that. And I think, look back a couple uh, letters into um, Ephesians, and, and I think a great explanation of this is, a scene, is seen in Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to take a minute and read verses 1 through 14, as Paul really lays out just beautifully this being in Christ, if you will. So Ephesians 1, 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I mean, think of that. Has blessed us. Right now, in Christ, we've been blessed with all of that. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on the earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, I mean, look at how he defines that there. He, he defines the church as being in Christ in verse 1. Believers who God has blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in verse 3. Having chosen them before the creation of the world in verse 4. Which resulted in redemption and forgiveness of sins in him in verse 7 which in return resulted in the hope of glorification in Christ and, the, and their marking in him with the seal of the Holy Spirit. So as believers, they were in Christ, we are in Christ, and as believers, the old has gone away, the new has come. Th- does that give you hope, right? What is the famous verse with that? The Second Corinthians 5.17, right? Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a... New creation, the old in Christ, the old new, the old is gone. And I'm telling you, in in my world of counseling people in addictions, that is hallelujah, click your heels together, hope, right? Hope. I met with a guy Friday that's going to two AA meetings a day. You know, he's tied to that. I I saw that, you know, I got to get... You know, I, I was talking to my wife afterward, and I said, what if he spent the same amount of time as he's spending, you know, at these meetings in the Word of God or meeting, being discipled by, by a believer, being mentored by somebody that is in Christ, right? If so much of the world teaches us that we're, we're um, well, in the world of addictions anyway, that, uh, that they've got this dreaded disease, and the only hope they have is to go and meet with a group of people and talk about it. You know, where in the gospel, if you're in Christ and you have all this stuff that he lays out there in Ephesians, boy, oh boy, I mean, that is hope, isn't it? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's joy that we can be in Christ. I mean, I started studying that this week, and I, I mean, I figured that I could talk about that the rest of my life as I was reading and thinking about the benefits and the joys and the beauty of being in Christ. I mean, we're talking about God, right? And that because of the work that he did for us on the cross, that that he brought us into his family. He adopted us. I've got two adopted grandkids, and I don't know if any of y'all are adopted or if you've got adopted kids, but what a beautiful picture of the gospel when you see that you know these kids weren't in an orphanage in Uganda looking through a book to pick my son and his wife that's not how it works right they picked them that's how it works with us God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that's big isn't it I mean my wife and I had so many conversations about this this week I mean it was giving me the goosebumps, you know, to think about. I mean, we're talking about Almighty God, the creator of all, and we are in union with him. That is awesome. Um, That really uh, floated my boat, if you will. (laughs) And uh, interestingly, archaeologists tell us that on on many of the nameless slabs in the catacombs of Rome, has anybody been underground there and seen any of that stuff? I've never been there. And but archaeologists say that uh, the uh, inscription in Christ is on those slabs. They may not have names on them or anything, but they were in Christ and they, they wanted that on those slabs. And interestingly, in peace is also there. 
testifying to the radical newness of the joy that was now in their lives in Christ. You know, because that, as Paul goes on to tell us here, is that he ends verse 2 with grace and peace to you from God our Father. So if you're in Christ, you, you have the grace and peace from God our Father. And, you know, that was um, interesting that Paul blends a, a, a Greek and a Hebrew uh, words together with the grace and the in the in the peace, and but that became a um, real uh, what's the right word? A well known way of of talking at that time. Well, grace and peace, brother. You know that you had so um, it, it became a greeting. And James uses it um, when he writes in James about. He just uses that same word that's translated grace here as greetings. So it's a way that fellow believers greeted one another at that time, and meaning that you are, if I came up to you and said, grace and peace be unto you, you know, I, I, we're, we're kind of saying, what Paul was saying here is that, hey, you, you people in the church at Colossae, you are recipients of God's unmerited favor, right? Should that excite you? You know that you're a recipient of God's unmerited favor, which then the other half, and by the way, peace be unto you, right? What um, that Hebrew word shalom, shalom, uh, meant more than just the absence of trouble, right? It, it, um, it meant that you're in the presence of God. So you've got God's undeserved, unmerited, unearned, can't get it, can't buy it, favor, grace, and peace with Almighty God, you know, they, they, the Colossians, you know, being in the culture at the time, they would understand the depth of a statement like that. But do you have to have the grace before the peace? What do you think? I would say, yeah, you know, you can't be at peace with God until you've got God's grace bestowed on you. Um, Once we have grace, then we can experience the peace of God and, um, that's part of that new relationship. But, you know, the problem um, today, and I guess here too, or Paul wouldn't have been writing about it, is humanity's pursuit of personal peace apart from God's enabling grace is big, isn't it? What are some of the ways that manifests today? I think um, lots of material things, right? You know, I mean, get, 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 so you can have peace in your life. I mean, have you ever had uh, the thought, well, if I only had fill in the blank, right, I'd be happy. What would that be for most of us most of the time? More money, right? And uh, I know somebody that for years has um, tried to solve life's problems with money, right? They somebody they know gets a DUI. Well, we'll get the best lawyer, you know. Or you know, things didn't go right. Well, I'll just get a new wife. Or you know, I, I mean, have you ever? Is that ever, you guys hear that as well? What would be another one other than money? Go to more social events, maybe. You know, um, intellectual pursuits, even 
more religious pursuits sometimes. We've got to be careful with that. I had a woman I was talking to a couple of weeks ago that has two kids that are uh, into drugs, and one of them, um, one of them OD'd at home. Uh, you know, heroin is so epidemic right now in Cherokee County, well, all, the whole country, but our county as well. And and he OD'd at home right here in Woodstock. And her, he's, I can't remember how old he is. He's in his 20s. Her and her 19-year-old got him in the car rather than calling 911. They drove him to the ER up in Canton. And he was blue when they came out. And they resuscitated him right there in the driveway of the ER. And um, so she goes back home and the 19-year-old's using drugs, you know, and it's like, okay, he just put his brother in the car with his mom, and she's, she's like, I don't know what to do. You know, my kids have no peace in their lives. This is a Christian lady, and, and our family is in turmoil because of my kids are trying to find their happiness in all of these wrong places, and um, I, I, so I started asking about the 19-year-old who was still living at home. The other one's not at home. He was visiting and OD'd at his mom's house. So I started asking about the 19-year-old, and she's like, he just goes from one thing to the next, trying to find peace in his life. And um, so that's our world, right? And here we sit with the good news of Jesus Christ and these things we're talking about here that... We as Christians experience that day in and day out. So I guess the convicting question for me and hopefully for you is then how do we not take that good news to the people that need it, right? That was a frustrating thing for me with the guy Friday that's going to these AA things. I was trying to intervene the gospel and he was like, yeah, well, this meeting, you know, this one guy's got the big book memorized and that's the book they use and and I said, well, you've got the Bible. He had a Bible right there with him. And I said, you know, he said, yeah, but I just can't seem to remember that stuff. And I don't know where to even start. And I said, well, turn to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. And, you know, went through that with him. It says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. So you can't even take a baby step towards understanding anything until you have that. Well, of course, then you got to teach what that means. So we ended up, I ended up having a great meeting with this guy. So uh, it was very productive. And as I saw God softening his heart, and, and hopefully we'll get to get, be able to get together again. But um, the peace of God, we experienced that as believers. Paul was addressing them with that. And he continues in his greeting there um, in verses 3 through 5. Let's read those. With the what I after studying this, I'm calling this the the Christian trio. Verses uh, Colossians chapter one verse three. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So there's the trio, the the faith, hope, and love. But here Paul switches it up a little bit, and he does faith, love, and hope. But they're there nonetheless, right? Um, we know that that's mentioned numerous times in in Scripture, uh, and, and seems to be a kind of a 
shorthand for genuine Christianity, you know, that genuine Christians have faith, hope, and love. And th- these qualities can, um, cannot truly be manufactured apart from God. They come from God. You can't conjure those up on, their, on your own. So they have faith in Christ Jesus. It's always mentioned first here, as I said, hope and love are, are swapped, but never when you see these three together in Scripture is, is um, faith not the first one. It's always first. And Paul's very specific about the object of their faith and the fact that it's in Christ Jesus. Um, have you ever talked to somebody about a problem and the response they'll give you is, well, you just got to have faith, brother. Well, you know, why? why? Why do people say that, right? Because our world thinks that, you know, it's, it's a, a component of a balanced life to have faith. You know, faith in something. You just got to trust something, right? But the, what we know, though, from, from a Christian perspective, is that there's no intrinsic value in faith by itself. It has to, faith is really derived from the object that you're having faith in. And if that's not in Christ, then those other two things, the love and the hope, aren't going to flow out the way that God intends for them to, fo- to, to flow out. Um, salvation, in particular, talk about faith, you know, comes by believing in Christ. And um, a great definition of, of this uh, faith um, beyond just the word trust, I found from John Patton. He was a missionary. Uh, he was born in 1824, and, and he was translating the Bible to the, uh, to the outer uh, Hebrides. And he was searching for the word in their language uh, for a definition of the word believe, definition for the word trust, definition for the word faith. You know, that's what that combined means. And this is what he came up with. Lean your whole weight upon. Isn't that good? Lean your whole weight upon. This is a guy that was a, can't remember where he's from. I read a biography of him years ago, one of those little small ones. You need to read about this guy. He was something else. Oh, if my life could just be like this. He was a pastor, I think Scotland. And um, he was uh, decided he was going to go to the, is that the way you say it, the New, new Hebrides? It looks like Hebrides, but <laughs> Hebrides. Uh, um, he was going to become a missionary there. And one of his fellow elders at his church said, well, pastor, you can't go. They're cannibals. And John Patton's response was, and he said, you can't go. They're cannibals. They're going to eat you. And he said, my dear sir, what does it matter if I stay here and serve my days and I'm put in a box and put in the ground and the worms eat me or I go and I serve there and they eat me? I end up the same. And, and he went, you know, it's like, wow. <laughs> you know, talk about faith, right? But um, great book if you get a chance to read. But lean your whole weight upon. And that's what the Colossians, despite of these Gnostic detractors had done and uh, we you know that's something to praise God about right so they continued or Paul continued to to praise the Colossians for their love that they had for all the saints and for Paul faith proved its reality by expressing itself through love and 
I really struggle with this next statement here. Loving God is seen in how one loves his neighbor, and particularly in another believer. And uh, we see that over and over in Scripture. Uh, John wrote in John 13, 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Of course, that's Jesus, right? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, we've all met people who claim to be good Christians, who are upstanding, honest, and and orthodox people, but unloving. And that's the benchmark for us, right? And so what what that is is a is somebody that maybe is good but they don't have good genuine the love of god manifesting through the faith they have mark twain listen to this quote from him talking about this kind of a person he said he is a good man in the worst sort of way and you know you don't want to be that guy right he's a great guy in the worst sort of way um, love for the brethren is a true sign of faith. And that's why in Colossians 3.11, the early church was so amazing and so enticing to the ancient world because there you, you had barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, male and female, Jew and Greek, people from all walks of life joined hands and sat down at the table together. You know, um, that's genuine love. All types of people, fellowshipping, helping one another, sitting down together. And the early church had never seen anything like that. And I mean, you could almost say today, this, that's missing from our world today, right? Um, as the world began to talk about sorcery and conspiracies and, and all kinds of vices, true Christians and their love for the saints, for one another, set apart, have come together in this church of Colossae. And that's how Paul addresses them there. And uh, this was a community held together by love, not by their geographical locations or their language or their skin color, but by love. There's a uh, conference coming up in the next couple of weeks. Brian Irby sent me a uh, uh, an invitation to it. It's called The Front Porch, and it's um, a group of black pastors that are having this kind of just the front porch idea they're just going to be sitting on the front porch and talking with the crowd interactive back and forth and it's i think it's the topic appears to be about you know why are our churches so you know uh what's the word uh segregated yeah you know and what's wrong with that picture i mean heaven's not going to be like that this church in Colossae wasn't like that um so that's because they had faith in Christ and genuine love for one another. Um, well, there was probably enough black people in that church, though. But, well, they weren't black, but there was a barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, and Jew, Jew and Gentile, and so there was definitely racial diversity. Right. Pardon? Ethiopian, yeah, yeah, they were black, they were around, yeah, but, yeah, so interesting, Um, so, Paul finally celebrates their hope, 
and uh, the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Um, hope is placed last because in, in this instance, Paul saw faith and love springing from that. Um, hope, how does hope of heaven cause faith and love to come forth? You know, they, these people had been without God and without hope in the world, and now they've got Christ and they're Christians. And this new hope brought them together, and, and of course, then they were combined together against the paganism that was attacking them. He tells us that the hope of the return of Christ and the heavenly reward makes a difference in how we live. He, he tells us that in several passages of Scripture. Um, and John, Paul does, and John as well. I'm going to read Titus 2, 11 through 13. Paul speaking says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. You know, so, I mean, doesn't that give you hope? You know, when, you're, you, when your life is just, you've just had a bad week, you know, or a bad month or a bad year or even just a bad day or a bad hour, you, a verse like that, while we wait the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God, <coughs> you know, that, that excites me. I wish I could be that way. I can't remember, was it Spurgeon or some, one of those guys said something about, you know, that he always had one eye on the cross and one eye on heaven, you know, and that's between the two of those is where we live. And, and that, that brings hope. We need to cultivate our hope. C.S. Lewis, again, a quote, really an exhortation from him. He said this, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Isn't that good? If you really consider that, then our desire is not too strong. It's, it's much, much too weak. So, um, well, it's 10 o'clock. I guess we'll stop right there for today then. But hope, faith, love, and hope that we can have moving forward. And does um, anybody have, um, speaking of the hope, um, that is stored up for us like that. Do you have certain ways that you cultivate that in your own heart? You know, when you, when you, maybe you are having a bad day. I mean, do you ever get to where, or maybe not a bad day. That's probably an easier time to do it. What about when you're having a great day? You've had a great week. Things are really good. Do you ever wonder, well, gosh, it's not so bad here. You know, do you ever think like that? You know, um, does that diminish the hope that we have for heaven? I don't know. Does it, do y'all struggle with that sometimes? So how do you get beyond that? Maybe, as um, as I said, if you if you look at the hope that C.S. Lewis is trying to point us to there, of the glories of the gospel you know, of of what that really is going to be like, then we can get our eyes off of this world. But, you know, and there's nothing wrong with this world, right? I mean, yes, it's sin, curse. I don't, you know what I mean. It's not like we're evil because we're here. 
we enjoyed the things that God allows us to enjoy on a daily basis here, right? The love that we have with one another, with our spouses, with our kids, with our jobs, with our hobbies, with the traffic in Atlanta. You know, um, you could be in L.A., right? Um, but sometimes I get caught up in the, maybe the way to say it is, the goodness of life here now and um, the pleasures of that and how do I walk with the hope of the future while I'm enjoying life here now? I guess that's the... I'm looking for an answer. I guess, I mean, you, you just sharing about the two guys that's on drugs. I mean, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here. I could be in their shoes right now and sure. having to struggle with that drug problem. Sure. Whether and It makes me think about my kids and our grandkids and how thankful we are that we did know Christ when they were young and we brought them up trying the best we could that God would give us the wisdom to raise our kids. So, you know, it just reminded me of that when you were sharing that. Mm-hmm. We're thankful. And that's not to say these are bad folks. They just need to hear the gospel right. and have a changed heart. Yeah. So, and that that then gets builds really on that love that we should be having and and the glories of the gospel for us that have been changed. And we didn't deserve that grace, right? And God gave it to us. Somebody else was going to say something. I was going to say, I think you're saying, well, it's tempting. Because like often John and I will pray at a meal or something and we start thanking God for all you have. And I start thinking, man, I'm like a king on earth. I mean, I mm-hmm. have clothes and I'm not hungry and I beautiful wife and you know you really have everything on earth mm-hmm. and I think Americans in particular can get caught up in that and looking to the earthly things as if that's it mm-hmm. I know I find myself in that sometimes I'm content with what I have yeah. I don't live in this all impoverished land where there's bombs going off or mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. I think it's a temptation for us we ought to check ourselves frequently yeah. Yeah. keep our minds on eternal yeah. Heavenly, not on earth. Yeah. Not that we're going around throwing dust on ourselves as we go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tough. Yeah, it's a no, weird it's balance there for sure. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you and thanks for your time. We'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>